Welcome to the Talk Right Done podcast, the show where we discuss everything you need to know about writing for your coaching business. In this episode, I talk to editor Jessica Kate Brown. Jessica is a non-fiction book editor for self-publishing authors. As a professional member of the Chartered Institute of Editing and Proofreading, and having worked on over 50 non-fiction publications to date for both traditional publishers and independent authors, Jessica now works with purpose-led writers who have a message to share and a drive to help others through their memoir, self-development or business book. From copy editing the final draft to providing those all-important last-look quality checks, Jessica helps authors refine their manuscript so they can press publish with confidence. Here, Jessica talks about the editing process, how to find editors for your self-published book, and at what stage you should start looking. She shares some invaluable advice on some of the stumbling blocks that self-publishing writers can come up against. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. If you could, first of all, just tell us a bit about yourself and how you came to be an editor. Yeah, of course. So, as you've said, I'm a non-fiction editor, so I work with um, purpose-led authors who are writing a book and have chosen to go down the self-publishing route Um, and most of my clients tend to be writing a a self-help or self-development book or a memoir or business type book and my route into editing is quite unconventional really so I started out uh, my previous career was in the military and I served in the RAF for 13 years. And then when I had my children and decided that actually it was time to take, take a different path, because um, military and family life are not particularly compatible. And I decided to become an editor. So my academic background is within languages. And that's something that I've always been really interested in. So I decided to pursue that passion and I retrained with the Chartered Institute of Editing and Proofreading so I did my training with them and then my first work was with a non-fiction publishing house so I started um, editing non-fiction books for them learned all about the publishing process and the workflows and that kind of thing and I've worked for quite a few publishers now within non-fiction and various different genres but what I, what I really missed was kind of the one-to-one interaction, because when you're freelancing for a publishing house, you have no direct contact with the author, which is why I decided that really I wanted to focus on working with self-publishing authors so that I could have that, that relationship with them. And yeah, I love it. Great. Thank you. And yeah, there's lots of overlaps in in what we do and kind of why we do it. And I think in another life, I would have been a, an editor as well, because I love that part of, of yeah, yeah. Lots of common, hasn't yeah, no, I think so. I think so. And do you know, the other interesting thing is, as I was listening to you then, it just occurred to me, the the lady that was on the podcast, so it'll be the week airing before this show airs was also had a military background oh really <laughs> exciting to write her book yeah Joanna oh how interesting that's yeah, interesting isn't it so yeah there we are so if we could I think something that might be really interesting for my listeners is to is to start with the, the type of editing you do mm. because I think that confuses a lot of people when they're thinking about looking for editing and proofreading yeah. professionals so 
yeah, I think perhaps just start by explaining different types of editing and proofreading. Yeah, of course. And you're absolutely right. It is it is confusing because editing is not just a a one stop shop process. There are different um, stages of it and different people that help you in the different stages. So it can get really confusing. So typically we can break it down into three key types of editing. So the first one that you would come to do is developmental editing. And this is at the beginning of your writing process and throughout kind of the process of writing your book. And it looks at the bigger picture aspects. So if you're going to work with a developmental editor, they would be looking at things like the structure, the pacing, um, the depth of the topics that you are covering, whether or not it meets what you intend to set out in terms of meeting the needs of your target audience. And that kind of thing. Um, So that's quite a long process. And if you're working with a developmental editor, you can expect to have a lot of back and forth, probably sections being rewritten, maybe even sections being taken out and moved around. So, yeah, so that's kind of your big picture stage. Then once you've, you've done that and you've got your final draft, that's when you would go on to the next stage, which is where I would come in as a copy editor. And um, copy editors. So we look at your manuscript line by line. So whereas developmental editing is is the big stuff, the big picture stuff, copy editing works at sentence level. So we'll be looking at things like the readability, the flow of your sentences, kind of the, the mechanics, really, making sure that it reads beautifully. Um, we'd be looking at consistency, so using the same spellings and the same presentation so that it looks really professional and really enhances the um, the reader's experience because you want to make it as easy, easy for them as possible. So making sure that everything flows nicely together. And also, you know, we look out for things like um, a little bit of fact checking, depending on the type of book that you're doing making sure that your language is appropriate and inclusive and lots of like lots of little little things like that spelling grammar punctuation as well we would we would be looking out for all those kind of things so once that process is finished then typically it would go your your manuscript would go and get typeset or formatted so then it kind of looks like a book and that's when the proofreader would come in right at the very end so just before your print your book goes to print or publication the proofreader would, would come in and they would do that final quality check so we call it the last line of defense because it is the very last check of the book it literally is the last thing that you need is proofreading and they will be looking at it at word level so we've looked at the big picture we've looked at a sentence level and now they're going to look at it at word level so right at every every single word making sure that there's no typos that any kind of spelling grammar things that have perhaps been missed or any errors with the formatting because sometimes some strange things can happen within the, the typesetting process and making sure t- uh, chapters match up and page numbers match up and all that kind of thing. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's very, very useful for people to to hear the the difference between those processes and and what happens when and just how much is involved, really, because it's it's not just a, you know, I'll finish writing it and then just send it off to one person. It's good to have those different professionals that are trained to look at specifically that part of it, isn't it? 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There is three three different main processes and it is a di- it's slightly different skills and different kind of tasks that each each professional will be doing. Do you find that authors tend to know what it is they want when they come to you or is there some kind of education involved in that? So a real mixture. Yeah. So I have some some of my clients are seasoned authors and actually, you know, editors themselves or um, have done, you know, worked within editorial. So they're they're already very familiar with the process. But then others, and quite understandably, especially if it's their first book, are less familiar with the process. So sometimes I might get someone that comes to me and actually they're not quite ready for a copy edit and they need somebody that's going to help shape their book with them and get it to that final draft stage because they're just not quite there yet. So that's when I would refer them to one of the developmental editors in my network. And the same with proofreading, really. Sometimes I think um, there's a misconception that copy editing and proofreading are all, all one. Um, And certainly copy editors will look at the same things that a proofreader will do, but it's not their sole concern. And I always think, you know, an extra pair of eyes and somebody right at the end, because there will always be things that slip through the net, always. And I'm always amazed at how much a proofreader will pick up when you think, you know, you've checked it several times and the author's checked it several times and beta readers have checked it several times there will always be things so the more people the more expert eyes you can get on your book before it goes to publication the better yeah I think that's really good and that's really worth um highlighting isn't it because I think a lot of people think that you know perhaps they could do a lot of this work themselves but the fact that you say you've got a lot of seasoned authors that come to you and and they're editors themselves but then they would always turn to someone else to read yeah. their work and you know I would never think to proofread my own work you, you or edit my own work you need someone else to do that yeah I think almost when you work in the industry and you see kind of the value that it brings then you wouldn't do it any other way because you can see the importance and also it's when it comes to self-publishing it's mirroring the traditional publishing mm-hmm. publishing process and there's a reason why it goes through these different stages of editing and it gets checked by so many different people because at the end of the day they want a polished and professional end product so as a self-publishing author if you're wanting your book to be on the same level as its traditionally published and um, counterparts then mirroring and copying that same process is one way that you can achieve the same editorial standards as a traditionally published book. Yeah and I must say on more than one occasion when I've bought a self-published book and, and seen a typo in there I've got pretty knocked if I've actually you know paid good money for that. And yeah. Errors that you know yeah. obviously hasn't been professionally proofread or edited. You can tell the difference for sure. Oh, absolutely yeah. Okay, so how does your process work? When you when you get a text, where do you start? What does the editing hierarchy look like for you? And is that something that writers can use if they're wanting to self-edit before approaching a professional? Yeah, definitely. So absolutely, you can, I mean, there's no substitute for, for an objective editor, but you can definitely uh, do some self-editing and I always recommend that you do self-edit as you're going along too. So I look at kind of four main areas, really. I break it down into four different things that I look at and I call them the four C's. That's my four C framework. So the first thing that I look at is consistency. This is a really important one. It's not the most glamorous um, part of editing, but it's really important to make sure that 
everything matches within your book. So if you're spelling a word one way, you're spelling it the same way throughout your whole book. If you're presenting certain information or words, for example, if you're if you've got numbers in your book, how are you going to write them? Are you going to write them out in full or are you going to write them as numerals? And making sure that's consistent all the way through, that your headings are all matching and uniform. And um, if you have bullet points, are they presented in the same way? So yes, it's not the most exciting part, perhaps, of the process, but it's really important. One, for a professional product. And secondly, it makes the reading experience so much easier. Because if things aren't consistent, then that can get quite confusing for the reader. Like I said before, we want to make we want to make it as easy for them as possible. So that's why consistency is really important. And again, you know, if you ever work with traditional publishers, they place a lot of emphasis on consistency. So that's another giveaway between the self-published books and the traditionally published books is is inconsistencies. So that's that's the first thing I'll look for. Um, I'll also look at conciseness. So how wordy sentences are, making sure that not more words are used than they need to be. I think sometimes we we like to flower up our language because it sounds lovely, but it's not always necessary. And especially with self-development books, what's really important is that the message is clear. And you don't necessarily need to use lots of fancy words to achieve that. And the, the other thing, actually, with con- conciseness and not using more words that you, than you need to is that you pay per page when it comes to pub self-publishing. So the longer your book is, the more you're going to pay for your formatter, the more you're going to pay for your editor, and the more you'll pay for the actual printing of of your book. So if you've got surplus words that don't really need to be there, then there is a a financial impact on that as well as the actual content of your book. And then I also look at clarity. So this kind of ties into conciseness quite a bit as well, but looking at how clear your message is. So obviously when we're writing a book, especially when it's self-development, self-help or business related book, it's about a topic that we know a lot about. Um, And sometimes we can assume knowledge of our readers and sometimes we will write something and we we understand what we mean. Actually, it could be interpreted in several different ways. So, I will come in as an objective objective person to question whether or not that could actually be misinterpreted or taken taken a different way. And then finally, uh, my fourth C is character. So with this one, I'm looking at the author's voice and how authentic it sounds. And are they using lots of cliches and overused phrases? Because that's going to impact the quality of of the book and make it less memorable and have less of an impact on the reader. So if you're using words that and phrases that are really have been overused and we, and we all do it, it's you know we, it's one of those things that's really hard to um, to avoid doing because it's how we speak a lot of the time. But it's gonna it's gonna have less of an impact on the reader and and also will be slightly detrimental to kind of achieving that individual and unique voice. Oh, thank you. I think those are really useful and it's 
yeah, very practical tips there. So the four C's, I was jotting those down as you were talking, consistency, conciseness, clarity and character. And I think those are all things that, that people can go away and have a look at. I just wanted to come back. You were talking about the headings. So just so we can get that clear for everyone. Is that so if you're thinking about being consistent in your headings, are you talking about formatting that or are you talking about in, say, the form that they write it? So it's a kind of parallel form if they're using if they're starting their headings with a verb that they do that every time yeah, within a chapter so, or on each chapter how does that work a little bit of both really so obviously the, with the with the formatting that's a, a conversation that you would have with the formatter and or the typesetter on how you want your headings to look and they will work with you to make sure you know they're all the same font and size and that kind of thing but from an editorial perspective you want to make sure that they're all written in the same um, case so we have two main cases, sentence case and title case. So sentence case is where you start the first letter of the first word with a capital and then the rest is all lowercase like you would in a sentence. And title case is where the first letter of the main words are capitalised. And you can use, there's a really good tool actually, which you can use called title case converter. Mm-hmm. So depending on the style that you're using certain words aren't capitalized and some are but that can that can change so um turtlecaseconverter.com i think it is is a really good one to check you can just paste cut and paste your heading in there and it will it will come up so you can if you're wanting to use that because you prefer the aesthetic look of having the capital letters and that's a really good one to use okay great thank you and so at what stage in the book writing process would you suggest that writers start approaching editors? Mm, well, if it's a copy, well, copy editing, as soon as possible, really. <laughs> I think, yeah, so this is, this is, um happens quite a lot that I will get somebody that will write their manuscript and they'll have the final draft and then they'll be like right I'm ready for an editor and that's when they start looking for them and if you are looking for an editor and a good a good editor typically they will be booked up sometime in advance so you know I know editors that are booked a year in advance for me it's usually two to two to three months so it just depends but if you have an ever date in mind sometimes you don't want to wait so I would say once you have an idea of when you're going to be finished, ideally you want to be start starting to research which editor you want to work with two, three or four months before you're actually ready for them. Because that will give you time to do your homework, find somebody that's going to be a really good fit for your book. Yeah, and I think the, the other thing that's nice about that is if you've got someone booked in, that gives you a deadline as well that you're going to work with to finish your book if you know you've got someone that's going to do your editing for you. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely extra accountability. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and how can writers find an editor that's the right editor for their book? Because I know different editors edit different types of books. And what are some of the things that they should look out for when they're looking for an editor? So there's a few things um, that you can ask potential editors. The first I would be really interested to know is their training and experience. So editing isn't a regulated profession. So anybody can call themselves an editor without necessarily having any training or any um, professional experience. So I would ask them what training they've done previously. 
And if they don't have any uh, accreditation or credentials, then I would be wanting to see quite a significant amount of relevant experience and previous work or in-house work that they've done before. Obviously, you want somebody that's got experience in your genre too. So look at what they've done before. A lot of editors will have portfolios on their website and they'll be able to tell you the different kinds of books that they've worked on. Obviously, look at their testimonials and um, any other kind of reviews that you can find. Again, their website's usually a great place to look for this. Ultimately, I would just have a chat with them. So almost all editors are going to be more than happy to have a quick chat to just make sure that you're on the same wavelength, that you have your values are aligned, because really this is going to be quite an important partnership and it's a significant part of your book. So you want somebody that gets you and gets your message and is going to be able to work with you to make it the best that it can be. Yeah, that's very important advice not to go into it lightly. Okay. What do you enjoy most about editing? Oh, good question. Um, I think for me, editing is such a privilege. And the fact that I get to be a small part of somebody's journey to publishing and in many ways achieving their dreams is is such an honour. And especially with the kind of books that I work with, so working with authors that are writing in self-development and memoir, they're often writing for really important reasons because they want to make a difference because they have a message that they want to share with the world and because ultimately they want to help people so to be able to help them to do that is really special and I think yeah I think that's probably Mm. my favorite part of my job Mm, okay I'd, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd agree that that's one of the favorite parts of my job as well yeah 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 yeah, just being able to help and help people get their message out. Absolutely. What's your biggest bugbear if you've got one? Oh, um, do you know what I think is what I think is what we've already mentioned. It's not being able to. It's when authors come to you at the last minute, and I have to either have to say no. I mean, I will try and refer them to somebody else if I can, but having to, yeah, I think when authors don't give it enough time and they come to you too late yeah okay fair enough so in terms of what's going to be helpful for our listeners what are the some of the major problems that you see coming up regularly when you're editing and how can writers avoid these problems so particularly with self-development I would say almost every book that I worked on has had some kind of questions come up around copyright So this is really, really common because when you're writing a self-help, self-development or a business book, authors often want to use quotes from other other people, other experts in the field, which can be a really good way to strengthen your narrative or reinforce a point. Um, So it's it's a really good device to use. However, sometimes depending on the way that you're using somebody else's words and the amount that you're using it can sometimes be considered copyright so obviously we're not going to use words that without acknowledging somebody else so you know it goes a little bit beyond plagiarism but I think it goes without saying that if you are going to use a concept or the work of somebody else you have to acknowledge them the problem comes with 
at what point does it go beyond just quoting within what's called fair use? So you can use a little bit up to a point, and that's what we call fair use. But then it's a little bit of a grey area as to at what point does it then breach copyright? Uh, And unfortunately, there isn't a black and white answer. There isn't like, oh, well, if you use X number of words, that's okay. But if you use more, you can't. I would say, you know, if you're just using a few feature quotes, you know, if you're if you want to quote one of Brené Brown's popular quotes at the beginning of a chapter, then that's not going to cause too many problems. However, if you're using large chunks of text from somebody else's work, if you are using their ideas and that's forming a big part of your book, especially if it's going to potentially impact their business as a result, then that can cause a few problems. And it's really it's really tricky because ultimately the only way to be sure is either to not use the material or to ask permission. So you can ask permission depending on who it is. It can be quite a lengthy and expensive process, but it's just a couple of things to bear in mind. And there are there are um, copyright legal experts as well that you can consult if you're not sure. So I would say that is that's a big one, especially within self development. And the other one is probably assuming knowledge. So I touched on this a little bit before, but again with nonfiction and with self-help type books we get very immersed in the bubble of what we're writing about and sometimes I think we can forget that actually what we know isn't common knowledge so sometimes authors will um, cite different experts in their field without giving enough information to the reader on who who they are and why they're relevant or use an example um, and just assume that the readers are already going to know about that so it's just bearing I mean that's something that an editor an editor should pick up anyway but it's just bearing in mind and trying when you're writing your book to step back and try and read it through the eyes of somebody who perhaps doesn't have the same level of experience and knowledge as you and using beta readers Beta readers are really good for this kind of thing because they will they will pick up on on things like that if they're not clear. And so, who do you suggest that people look to for beta readers? Would they look to friends and family, or should they look to people who are interested in what they're writing about? Maybe a client, something like that. Who who do you suggest? Yeah, I mean, by all means, you can use your friends and family. I would probably not rely entirely on them because they tend to be biased Mm. maybe not intentionally but they may not be as um you know they may be a bit kinder with their feedback um yeah and not as objective as perhaps somebody that you don't know so a really good beta reader would be somebody who is familiar with your genre so a fan of your particular types of books and you can usually there's great places you can find them so you can get you can pay for beta readers on places like Fiverr and places like that. Bookstagram's a great place to to find beta readers, and um, I think Reddit. I think somebody recommended that. There are different kind of platforms that you can find them. Um, if you're part of writing groups and writing networks, quite often people will do exchanges as well and will beta read each other's books. Okay, yeah, and and of course, they're the people want to make sure that they're not just getting, like you say, you've got to be careful with your friends and family. It's not just positive feedback if they're biased. Oh, this is great. You want people who are actually well, yeah, exactly. Pull out their holes and 
Yeah. And I, th- I think um, sometimes as well, it can be really useful to have people who don't know a lot about the subject area because they'll be able to pull out the holes and the gaps and say well you haven't quite explained this there's too big a jump there isn't there so that yeah absolutely yeah it's really important I wanted to ask you apart from your website of course where is a good place for writers to find an editor for their book so I would start with the CIEP directory so that is Chartered Institute of Editing and Proofreading. So they have a directory and there is a bit of a vetting process to go on there. So they only allow professional members. So they are editors and proofreaders who have um, completed training and have a certain amount of experience already. So that's always a good place to start. Um, also, I would say you can... Look, most uh, most editors are on social media in, in some respects, so there's no there's no harm in having a look on um, platforms like Instagram and LinkedIn because you can find um, lots of different editors and proofreaders on there just through the search function. Although it could take you a little bit of time to to find the right one, but that's always quite a fun way to to look and to connect with people as well. Okay, great. And if someone is self-publishing and they want to keep control of the process which professionals would they need to look for apart from an editor right so beyond kind of editing obviously you've got your developmental editor your copy editor and your proofreader you're also going to need a cover designer and I think this is really really important is to get somebody professionally to design your front cover because a little bit like when you can tell that a book hasn't been edited or proofread another huge huge giveaway is is the front cover of self-published books Um, and I've seen some absolutely amazing beautiful professional covers done for self-published books so you can absolutely achieve that same finish with the right professional so I would say definitely a, a, a cover designer and also the inside so the formatting or typesetting particularly with self-development books, because rather than when you have a novel, the formatting process is a lot simpler because it's just kind of text, isn't it? Means of text. But a lot of the time, if you're writing a self-help type book, you're going to want different sections. You might have a bullet-pointed section or section for your readers to write notes or a summary or action points and that kind of thing. So it's a little bit more complex which is why, again, I would suggest looking for a professional who can help you make it look really good inside as well as on the outside. Okay, great. Thank you. That's really useful. Final question. I wanted to move off um, editing a little bit because I know we're both applied linguists and I happen to know you're interested in feminist linguistics. So maybe just give us one fun fact. Oh, so it was really... Yeah, so it's it's really difficult to find like one one thing that I love and are quite depressing facts. Um, but I did what's what really interests me with with feminist linguistics is the fact that a lot of the the language that we use is unintentionally um, gender biased, and we don't we don't mean it to be a lot of the time we don't, but because of the way that society is and our, our upbringing we do unknowingly use a lot of gender-biased language. And the research shows that even in families where they're bringing up their children in a gender-neutral environment, they still actually do use 
a lot of gender biased language towards their children and a lot of emotion words towards girls rather than boys so that by the time children are speaking they are already the girls are using a lot of emotion words like love worry care unlike the boys so it really I think is interesting to when you look at the research at how kind of powerful our unconscious biases are Mm. um and this actually is something which I notice a lot in people's writing as well, a lot of gender, gender uh, biased language. And it's not, it's never intentional, but it's just because we're so used to this way of describing and explaining things that sometimes they, they sneak into our writing without us even realising. And especially as someone who's trying to bring up three feminist sons, you know, that's something I'm, I'm checking oh. myself on all the time, yeah. you know, it's because there is so much of it about and, you know, even I check myself sometimes when I say something or can you think of, think of an example of in in writing that you see, perhaps? I think a lot of the time it's things like a lot of I mean, there's quite a lot of this in the media. I think people are getting more aware of not using things like uh, describing, you know, someone as a chairman or Mm-mm. talking about, you know, a, a female surgeon or something, you know, stereotyping job roles which right. I think we're getting a society a lot better at doing. But sometimes those kind of things do do sneak in a little bit. Um, and assuming certain things are, you know, male-related, we're not, we're not necessarily. So again, like a lot of the time it comes in professions. So as with my military background, a lot of the time mm. pilots will be referred to in the male sense when in actual fact the, the example that that we're looking at could be either it could be yeah, yeah. male or female you know so um again it is just having that objective eye and I think because of my my academic background I always have this kind of little little feminist linguist on my shoulder yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe hypersensitive but um but yeah I think it is quite an important thing to bear in mind well thank you very much that's been extremely useful and I think for writers who are looking to self-publish and thinking about contacting professionals I think they're going to get a lot of value from this episode so thank you so much for joining me Jessica well, thank you so much for having me I hope you found that conversation as informative as I did. And if you want to find out more about Jessica, you can find her website at jessicacatebrown.com. Find her on Instagram at jessicacatebrowneditor. And she's also on LinkedIn at jessicacatebrown. Take care now. If you're thinking that 2022 is the year you'll finally write your book, but you need someone to guide you along the way, then check out my one-to-one book starter package for coaches, your first chapters and author success plan. This is a one-to-one offer taking you personally through exactly what you need to plan and write your book for your coaching, consultancy or educational business. By the end of our time together, you'll not only have completed this work and be in the flow of writing your book, but you'll have the confidence and skills to finally get that book or book proposal written and a clear roadmap for success tailored to your book project. I'll be with you the entire way to walk you through the process. Check out all the info on the link in my show notes and book a free call today. No obligation to see if we're a good fit. Packages can be booked now and used by the first quarter of 2022. Will 2022 be the year that you write your book? I look forward to hearing from you. Happy writing.